We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search, match with Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. So the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash lawless. Just go to Indeed.com slash lawless right now and support our show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Indeed com slash lawless. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. If you try to please everyone, you may end up pleasing no one at all. The U.S. team still does not have a permanent coach. It languishes in stasis. Christian Pulisic seems to be pleading this week, saying, quote, I just want to see a guy with a plan, end quote. We all do, Christian. U.S. soccer is taking the time to get it right. That's admirable, but needless. We don't have to agree with the decisions, but they have to be made. Hello, Sunshine. I'm Alexi Lawless, and welcome to the State of the Union podcast, where we look at the beautiful game on and off the field through the lens of red, white, and blue colored glasses. As you heard, we'll be talking about the U.S. men's national team state of purgatory. We'll have our Mossy Makes the Case segment. We'll be answering your questions in our Ask Alexi segment and so much more. But first, as always, joining me, my friend, my colleague, my guiding light, David Mossy, a soccer savant and a Fox soccer researcher and writer extraordinaire. How are you, Mossy? I am good. I am wearing a Brazil jersey today. Now, a week from today on our next podcast, there are two possibilities. I will either be wearing a Michigan football jersey or I won't be here because I will have jumped off a bridge. Yes, your uh, your Wolverines are playing against the Buckeyes of Ohio State, which eked one out against Maryland. See, I know what's going on. I saw this, right? Ohio State's not very good defensively. You guys should roll over. There's no possible way that your Wolverines can possibly contrive to lose against this horrible Buckeye, Buckeye team this year, right? We shall see. <laughs> You're wearing the yellow jersey, by the way, for uh, Brazil, not the uh, the blue one or anything. Like, who, who is, who is uh, it's Ronald, a number 10, but which one is this? Ronaldinho. Ronaldinho. Uh, Brazil coming off a highly unsatisfactory win over Uruguay. I am falling out of love with Chichi very quickly. Wow. That's a wow. Topic for fickle, day, fickle you are. I spent one, uh, just, just a, a shout out to. Uh, the folks in uh, Miami. I spent the week in Miami uh, for Fox doing uh, some promotion at Soccer X. So do you know what this Soccer X thing is? This big convention uh, that normally happens over in Europe, oftentimes in Manchester. Uh, they did it th- for the first time here in the U.S. in Miami. It was wonderful. We had it in uh, the Marlins Stadium, the baseball stadium there. Saw anybody and everybody over there when it came to soccer. We were doing some different panels. The lovely Kate Abdo was with us. Um, we were talking about the World Cup and all of our plans next summer with the Women's World. 
World Cup. Uh, so it was a great opportunity for us to explain to people what we are doing at Fox and the uh, proud disruptors that we are in the way that we broadcast soccer. But, you know, for example, I met Jorge Mas, the uh, owner of Inter Miami, uh, the new team that's coming in MLS. Really fun to talk to him about his herons, uh, the, the birds that they are using on the logo. Just everywhere you turn, there was a different soccer person, either someone from the past or someone uh, that I recognized. So it was a fun week in Miami. No, I was going to ask you about it. Yeah. Uh, did uh, our podcast come up at all? Our podcast came up in terms of the things that we do uh, while we might think, and we would be correct in thinking that it's a very small little piece. Uh, thank you to everyone that listens. Uh, it is a piece. It is a piece of all the different content that we're cranking out. Uh, and there were you know, so many other people that, and not necessarily in front of the camera, this is, this is a very select, but all, also a very eclectic type of group of people from the soccer industry. And so it's people, and, and it's global. There's a lot of international influence. La Liga had a huge presence, and it, which was interesting because we know that La Liga uh, over the last few months has been making a lot of claims that they are going to have this game, a real official La Liga game in the United States. They can say all that they want. <laughs> How this happens, I, I don't know. Uh, because it is a Pandora's box type of thing. And I think U.S. soccer will be looking, and certainly MLS will be looking at it as uh, something that they would not be in favor. And there's plenty of people out there, including the uh, La Liga players. But it was interesting to see how these leagues recognize what the U.S. is and opening offices and doing all that kind of stuff. So it was fun. It was fun. What did you do this week? Anything exciting? Well, I've uh, already banged out through uh, the season of Narcos, oh which God. I absolutely loved. Uh, this is a Netflix uh, special, right? Correct, yes. Uh, is it done or is it starting? Is it in the middle? What, what are we looking at here? The, the, is the new season, they just, they just pull they just them all out? dumped all the 10 episodes, and I've already plowed through them. I absolutely love them. Can't recommend them enough. Uh, but there's more to come, right? Well, yeah. I mean, this season's over, yeah, but and I presumably can't do that, there'll be more. But if there's more seasons, I want the end. I want it finite. I need a beginning and an end in order to binge watch any type of show. I'm not going to watch it, then get caught all caught up, and then be you know, waiting for, for the next season. Yeah, no, that's fair. There are people like that. So you can wait until the show is completely done. And I then, will. And then watch all the seasons. So, so you're telling me it's good, though. Uh, Very good, yeah. On the yeah. surface. I also saw two, two more movies in the last few days. Can You Ever Forgive Me, which is uh, based on a true story. This uh, oh, yeah. writer, Lee Israel, who forged a bunch of letters and... And then I saw At Eternity's Gate, which is this biopic of Vincent Van Gogh. Uh, I loved it. It's uh, kind of a weird movie, but uh, as you know, I'm a big art buff. Yep. And so it, it hit my sweet spot. So I absolutely loved it. Wow. Big weekend for you. All right. It's also a big weekend and slash week of soccer, which we are going to talk about. We are in the international break, as everybody knows, which uh, brings a whole different face in terms of what we are talking about. We'll be talking a lot about that. Uh, and then we're right back into club, uh, whether it's MLS or whether it's stuff going on in Europe. So plenty to talk about. Shall we get to it, Mossy? Yep. All right. Let's light this candle. As you know, each and every week we kick the pod off with Alexi Lawless's State of the Union. Yes, it's time for my State of the Union, where I look at a part of the game from an American perspective. And it goes a little something like this. There's an old fable about a miller, his son, and their donkey heading to market. They start reacting to the judgment from villagers, which leads to them losing their donkey. Basically, the moral is, if you try to please everyone, you may end up pleasing no one at all. On and off the field, I think the U.S. men's national team has too often tried to be everything to everyone. In doing so, we've wasted valuable time, resources, and energy. It's been over a year since the epic failure in Trinidad. The U.S. team still does not have a permanent coach. To be fair, the last year has seen a sea change in the leadership and landscape of U.S. soccer. 
with the election of Carlos Cordero as U.S. soccer president and the demand for change and reform with more transparency, oversight, and consensus. The Federation has been accused of operating in a vacuum, an autocracy with few checks and balances. It now seems the pendulum has swung in the opposite direction. They become afraid of making decisions. Paralysis by analysis. In their effort to appease the masses, they've neutered the national team. It languishes in stasis, unable to turn the page on a dark chapter and therefore unable to move forward. The players now look and sound frustrated. They look impatient. They sound impatient. They look rudderless. They sound rudderless. Christian Pulisic seems to be pleading this week, saying, quote, I just want to see a guy with a plan, end quote. We all do, Christian. U.S. soccer is taking the time to get it right. That's admirable, but needless. People are put in positions of power and authority to make decisions. We don't have to agree with the decisions, but they have to be made. When this decision finally comes, guess what? It isn't going to please everyone, and that's okay. But taking over a year to make that decision, well, just like in the fable, that hasn't pleased anyone at all. And that's been my State of the Union for this week. All right, Mossy, thoughts on this uh, continuing saga with the U.S. men's national team, especially on the heels of a, what has to be said, a horrible performance against England. We were recording this before they take on Italy in Belgium, with, by the, which, by the way, you can see on FS1 on Tuesday. Yeah, I see two possibilities for the delay in hiring a new coach. Either they are undertaking this exhaustive search, talking to lots of different people, and that takes time, or they decided on Greg Berhalter a long time ago, but they're waiting for the Columbus-Austin situation to be completely sorted before they announce him. Uh, if it's the first thing, it's the most secretive search I've ever seen in my life because <laughs> there's been no word on anybody that they've interviewed. Lots of people that you would have thought were logical candidates have come out and said they haven't been interviewed. So who the heck knows? If it's the second thing, I get it. But at a certain point, how long are you going to wait? Uh, you're, you're frustrating your own players here. You're taking a PR lambasting. So I think if it is Burhalter, they need to go ahead and announce it. Well, you know, I'm almost arguing against myself here because, you know, I argued that in life in general, you're trying to please everybody. You end up pleasing nobody at all. And in essence, they have done exactly what they feel is appropriate. And while I can value that, when we're talking about the length of time that this has taken, do you, because there's a, there's a narrative out there that I'm hearing from people, the people that I like and people that I respect, that ultimately it's not going to matter. This team is going to get the coach whenever it is. If it's before the end of the year, great. If it's at the, at the turn of the new year, fine. And then it's going to go on. And next summer in Gold Cup, uh, they'll do well. And nobody will remember how long it took. Number one, do you buy that? And number two, if you don't buy it, what was lost over this last year? I don't think it's a huge issue, but something has been lost. I mean, you mentioned uh, the U.S. plays tomorrow against Italy, the final match of 2018, and that presents a good chance for comparison because Italy also didn't qualify for the World Cup. Mm -hmm. They hired Roberto Mancini in May. Tomorrow will be his ninth match in charge. So they've already kind of turned the page on missing the World Cup and started something new and fresh, and you can read into the game that they've been playing. So yeah, I do think you're behind the eight ball a little bit. You can definitely catch up if the manager you bring in does a good job, but you are starting a little bit behind everybody else. So I don't think in the grand scheme of things, it's a huge issue, but I think it's somewhat of an issue, especially just psychologically wanting to move on from the World Cup qualification disaster. And I think that's what was behind Christian Pulisic's comics. You can see that he and others are frustrated. And while I put the blame squarely on U.S. soccer for not having made a decision yet, and they may have their reasons and valid reasons at that, uh, it's not only on U.S. soccer. 
because that performance by this U.S. men's national team was abysmal. And it's real easy for us to say, yes, it's because they don't have a coach. There is an element of that, and I'm not discounting that. But in, in the same way that I took to task our men's team before the incredible failure in Trinidad uh, and called many of them individually out, just because this is a new generation that we readily admit are young and inexperienced and are being blooded right now, does not absolve them from responsibility and does not mean that they aren't, uh, it isn't fair and valid to criticize them because that was a performance, as I said, devoid of direction, but also I thought devoid of any real effort. And it's so easy just to say, well, it's because we don't have a coach. Whoever that new coach is and looks like it's going to be Greg Berhalter, when Greg Berhalter uh, or anybody else comes in, they are not going to kick a ball. They are not going to fundamentally change the way or the talent and the group of talent that we have. But as Christian Pulisic so aptly put, they want somebody to come in with a plan. And it's not that Dave Sarakin, who deserves a tremendous amount of credit, hasn't had a plan. But when you are laying out a plan that everybody knows is temporary, it's very difficult to wrap your arms around it as a player. When I, when I talk about the responsibility of these young players in this generation, if you don't get it done, you will go away. And that's the way that it should be. So I know I have extolled the virtues of this incredibly talented generation, and I want to I wanna foster this young, this young talent group. And I, and I have been on record saying I want to get you know, out with the old guard and in with a new. That new guard has a responsibility. And to a certain extent, I think they've taken ownership. But if they're not getting it done, and that was not getting it done, it has nothing to do with the result, to be quite honest, against England. It has to do with the way that that result came about. If they're not getting it done, we will get somebody else in there that can get it done and will accept that responsibility and have that ownership. And whoever that new coach is, they're going to come in and they're going to reassess. Believe me, if it's Greg Berhalter, he has been watching every minute. He has been assessing from afar. But he is going to come in and look at this group and say, it's all fine and well that people were talking about how great you were. It's all fine and well that you're playing here, you're playing there. But you know what? You don't necessarily fit in. Or maybe from afar, I believed you fit in. And then as I've seen you progress over the last year, <laughs> no, it's not happening. So be very, very careful. Just because you have been anointed as part of this new group doesn't mean that it can't be taken away from you like that. And it should be taken away from you if you are not going to live up to that responsibility. The performance against England, what was your main takeaway and or concern? No, it was a, it was a dreadful performance. It's funny, Doug McIntyre, who covers the U.S. team, he sent no out a well. tweet. Great writer. Yep. Yeah, he sent out a tweet saying that he thinks this has been overall a positive 2018 because these young players have gotten a chance to face elite competition and for the most part have acquitted themselves reasonably well. He did point out the England game was an exception to that. Keith Costigan jumped all over him. He said, that's crazy. We haven't learned anything about any of these players we didn't know before. Nobody knew has really emerged. And he's in the camp that thinks this has been a completely lost 2018 for the U.S. national team. Where do you land on that? I know the England game was awful, but did you see enough positives in some of the other matches to say that it hasn't been a totally lost year? When the U.S. failed to qualify in uh, Cuba uh, in Trinidad in the fall of 2017, I'm on record as saying I thought a change should have been made because we were given this silver lining, not something we asked for, but the silver lining of a year, uh, at least at least three quarters of a year, 
that others would not get, where we could start along the process and the rebuild ahead of everybody. Now, U.S. Soccer Federation looked at it and said, well, well for the talent that's out there, we're going to give ourselves time. At least I think this is what they said. I'm just spitballing here. They said, we're going to give ourselves time. They also knew that coming around the bend was a new election on the heels of not making it the World Cup, at which drove that election of Carlos Cordero. And that's, you know, that's, that's not small. That was a big, as I said, in the State of the Union, that was a big sea change. But I want people in power to make decisions. If I was Sunil Gulati, even after not qualifying, I would have gone out and got who I thought was the best damn manager and got him or her as quickly as possible in and starting to make the changes that were necessary, whatever they, whatever they felt. Once again, that's what I said. But they said, you know what? We're going to hold off. We're going we're gonna to wait. Now, they didn't know that Carlos Cordero was going to be elected, but they had said, we'll wait. Fair enough. It's not as if they hired somebody after the World Cup. It's not as if somebody emerged from the World Cup and we said, well, it's a good thing we waited because look at the talent that we have brought in to coach our team. No, when it all said and done, we're going to get a guy who's been here all along. And this is not a knock on Greg Berhalter. If, if Sunil Galati thought that Greg Berhalter or Peter Vermes or Tab Ramos was the best person in charge in that moment that we lost to Trinidad, then he should have said, boom, that's who we're going with and onward and upward. But no, instead we have wasted a year. Is, is it wasted or not? I, I'm, I'm willing to be convinced that it wasn't. That's what I said at the time. And much more so, there's a lot more people that said, it's okay, we're, we're having some patience. A lot of people, I think at this point, are at, the, at their wit's end. They do not want this to go, go on, which once again, isn't necessarily a reason not to do anything right now uh, uh, to, or to do something right now. But it would surprise me if, because optics are important, if this coach is not named publicly, and if it's if it's not Greg Berhalter, first and foremost, but if this coach is not named publicly in the next few weeks, I think it's gotten to a point now where even if they didn't want to do it, or they wanted to do it at the beginning of the year, they're gonna they're gonna push that up and get this thing out. So because it's one less thing that they that they have to deal with, and it will be good. It will be good when it's done, so this person can come in and start that process and give Christian Pulisic and the others what they want, which is a leader with a plan. And once again, I don't have to agree with it. You don't have to agree with it, but there has to be a plan. And so often in soccer, and I've said this before, we wing it. And I would rather have a flawed plan than no plan at all. But at this point, we just need someone with a plan. <laughs> so I hope that that happens in the next couple of weeks. Uh, anything else on this subject, Mr. Mossy? All right, please let us know if you agree or disagree. Are you okay with the year that it has taken? Are you okay with the names that are being thrown out there right now? Are you okay with anything that we say on this podcast? As always, you can get with us. All right, moving on. Hey guys, Alexi Lalas. More of the State of the Union podcast is on its way. But first, I wanted to tell you about a service that every soccer fan needs to check out. Fox Soccer Match Pass. With Fox Soccer Match Pass, you can stream live and on-demand matches from the Bundesliga, Copa Libertadores, Major League Soccer, international friendlies, and more on your favorite devices. And the best part? It's all ad-free and you can cancel at any time. So check out foxsoccermatchpass.com and get started with a free seven-day trial today. Now, back to the show. Mossy Makes the Case. Yes, it's time for Mossy Makes the Case. All right, David Mossy, what are you screaming and yelling about this week? My case is that playing is better than not playing, and only people blinded by their worship of the Premier League can ignore that obvious fact. Ooh! 
Oh, hot lead. Oh my goodness. All right. I'm in. I'm in. You had me at you had me at hello. Uh, these are good times for England. They have a young, exciting team. They reached the semifinals of the World Cup, and they're off to a great start in this cycle. But an interesting debate has broken out centered on their two most talented teenagers. It did not go unnoticed that the weekend before the international break, Jaden Sancho played all 90 minutes in Dortmund's win over Bayern, while the following day, Phil Foden came on for one minute of City's win over United. Foden has played a total of 64 minutes in the Premier League this season, none of them meaningful. Pep has brought him on in a few games when the outcome was no longer in doubt. So not surprisingly, Sancho has broken into the England team faster. He started the friendly against the U.S. the other day, while Foden has yet to be capped. And that's led some to the natural conclusion that Sancho is ahead of Foden right now and in a better situation. Well, that's triggered this strong pushback from people like Arlo White, who argued that's crazy. Foden is in a great situation. He gets to learn from Pep Guardiola. He gets to learn from David Silva. They're grooming him for a bigger role. I don't buy that at all. Uh, the notion that Jaden Sancho, starting every week for a Dortmund side that's leading the Bundesliga, that's going to be in the knockout stages of the Champions League, and that plays some of the best attacking football in Europe, isn't in a much better situation than somebody that's played a total of 64 minutes of league play this season is nuts to me. This whole business of learning from somebody else, I think it sounds good, but it's completely overrated, and it would have a lot more resonance with me if City had any sort of track record of taking academy players, developing them, and eventually handing them a bigger role. All the evidence points to the fact that when David Silva and Kevin De Bruyne need replacing, City are just going to go out and buy another David Silva and Kevin De Bruyne. I love Phil Foden, but I am worried about his situation. Well, I have no such concerns about Jaden Sancho because I think he's on a clear path to stardom. Interesting. I know that your dad listens to this podcast, and I know he specifically listens to hear what his son is saying. So I, I, I am going to channel your father, who I'm assuming at times will challenge you on different things. So uh, first off, I want to be, be, be clear. Is this specific to sports slash soccer? And is this specific to Manchester City that you're talking about, this concept that you've come up with in terms of how you feel about well, experience? Interesting enough, Sancho also is a Manchester City youth product. Yeah, I think you could generally apply it to the big teams in the Premier League. There's just not a culture there of giving your, your academy players a chance and developing them. They have all this money to spend, so they're invariably going to go out and plug holes by signing players. So it's created a... There's a lot I like about the Premier League, but that is one thing I don't like. It's very difficult for young, homegrown players to break through. So that's why you're seeing them perhaps look right, elsewhere. But I, I just, I'm, trying to, I'm trying to distill this down here so I understand, because when you talk about experience, you know, for example, you are a very smart person. You are uh, of incredible value to us at Fox and certainly to me. I see you working. Uh, you have people that work for you, people that you are in charge of. If you were to let those uh, folks just just go and do their job without any interference, uh, without having them ever see the way that you work or the way that you do things. Your argument is that they would figure out eventually because they're smart, which is why they're working there, and they would figure out eventually no matter, pro no matter what. Yeah, I think generally you get better at something by trial and error and actually doing it. And, you know, I, I think, you know, the whole, the whole learning thing, there has to be a path to eventually you being handed the, the position. I don't see that with these big English clubs. Okay, I don't, you know, but I don't. isn't that path populated by people that have been either through, along that path before or are farther along on that path? Isn't that what experience is? Uh, if, if you discount having people of experience around you, 
then what's the point of ever having anybody with experience? Have you never turned to somebody who has had more experience or more time and has been successful and is generally looked at as being successful and gleaned anything about the things that you do from them? Uh, sure, yeah. <laughs> well, why'd you have to my, think about that? My father and I have very much a Kendall Roy, Logan Roy, a very competitive kind of relationship. So now, you know, when I was younger, I learned from him. Now we, we find ourselves sort of arguing a lot about, you know, and trying to show off who knows more than who. But let me just say one thing. I'm not a fan of loans for young players because I mm. think oftentimes the team acquiring the player has no commitment to his long-term development. If that player is not going to help them win games right away, there's no incentive to play him. An example of that is there's this other young Manchester City midfielder, this Brazilian Douglas Luiz, who went on loan to Girona last season and barely played, and that was kind of a lost year in his development. He's back on loan with Girona this season and is actually playing, so that's good. I also don't like going to a bad team that plays a style of football that doesn't suit you. So this is not Phil Foden, like, leave Man City. At all, at all costs. There are certain situations where I can look at it and be like, you know what? The situation he's in now is the lesser evil there. But the beauty for Jaden Sancho is he went to another top 10 team in Europe that plays this style of football that suits him. And it has every incentive to play him because A, they're challenging for trophies and B, they're probably going to eventually sell them back to the Premier League for a lot of money. So to me, he's found the perfect spot. And if something like that comes along for Phil Foden, he needs to strongly consider it because I just don't see a path there for him all right, at Manchester so City. So a couple of things, in and I'm trying to think back about moments uh, and teams and teammates that taught me something uh, and ones that were older, more mature, more experienced. And we've, I think we've talked about this before on the pod in that it's, it's few and far between. So in that sense, I am, uh, I am completely in agreement with you that it, it, is, a, it is a fallacy the uh, the experience fallacy, shall we call it. It is oftentimes overvalued, overrated. But I have yet to see a experienced, mature player that starts that isn't good. So if you have all the experience in the world and you're this sage veteran of a team and you suck, it, it's it's not gonna it's you're not gonna impart anything on these guys. Then you you know then you're just even Yoda at some point pulled the X-wing out of the uh, out of the swamp, right? I don't know if I'm using that Star Wars reference uh, correctly, but but the but the the point is that Yoda can spout all off on everything that he wants to, but at some point he's got to do something, which he did. And that's that's the important thing. So just having experience, just having veterans around doesn't change a whole lot. There are specific moments, and as I said, they are so few and far between, when anybody that was older than me, more mature veterans that were around on t in team situations ever imparted anything. And, and the interesting thing is the, 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 the times that I can think of, for the most part, it was off the field stuff. I mean, I remember, for example, Tony Miola. I remember watching him when I first got into the national team, watching him command a room, I wasn't a starter. I'd just got in, gotten in there, and we had an appearance somewhere. And I remember him commanding the room in the way that he talked about himself, but in the context of the national team. And I remember saying, that's good. That's important. Now, that has absolutely nothing to do with kicking the ball. And I'm sure that there are coaches out there listening right now and saying, yes, but that is a value, and that is important. And I'm not discounting that. That 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 is important. But actually how I should kick the ball or thinking about it in a different way and how I should kick the ball that there was that you know that was that was definitely minimal go ahead 
Uh, let me bring up a couple other players. Past few days, there's been all these rumors about Christian Pulisic going to Chelsea. Now, the Dortmund sporting director came out and said he's definitely not going in January, but he left the door open that he might go in the summer. Right. And Phil Shane, who I'm a fan of, sent out a tweet. He said he's all for this because he's going to get to play for Maritza Sadi and he's going to get to learn from Eden Hazard. Uh, a couple of issues there. Making any long-term commitment to Chelsea based on who the manager is at that given time is right. very risky. I love Sadi. Right now, we all love Sadi. But the evidence points to the fact that somehow that's going to go sour and he's not going to be there in a year or two. Also, this whole notion of Pulisic learning from Eden Hazard, again, I think is a fallacy. Pulisic needs to go somewhere where he's going to play and he's going to play regularly. And to me, it's not a positive for his career to go somewhere where he's sitting behind one of the best players in the world and quote-unquote just learning from him. So, I mean, I, I just don't see... Uh, how you can spin that as a positive if you're talking that he's going to go somewhere where he's not going to play, but he's going to learn. I think Pulisic is kind of past that in his well, development. I, I wouldn't say that he wouldn't learn, but if sometimes it's if if you're mostly if you're hanging out with a tall person, you're not going to learn how to be tall. <laughs> okay, so there's only so much that he can learn. It, the way that Eden Hazard shifts his body weight and all that kind of stuff. Well. Christian Pulisic, he's not, he's not a moron. He's been playing soccer. He didn't just start the game. And I'm not saying that he can't get better and that he can't learn. But I think in a strange way, we are kind of saying uh, the same thing in that maturity and experience and veteran leadership is all a bunch of BS <laughs> in soccer and life, right? So who cares how much experience that you that you possibly have? You should remember that next time you go in and negotiate your new contract with Fox in that when you start saying, hey, look, this is what I've done. This is my resume. This is where I've been all these years of service. Uh, I am a, uh, a pillar in the industry and all that kind of stuff. And someone said, yeah, it really doesn't matter because I've listened to your podcast and you don't think that that counts for crap anyway. <laughs> <laughs> well, another player I've been thinking about is Alfonso Davies. And the more I think about it, I don't know if Bayern was, is going to be a great move for him. There are 18 clubs in the Bundesliga. 17 of them operate with a Bundesliga mentality, which is to say they really value giving young players a chance and developing them. There's one that <laughs> operates with a Premier League mentality, and that's Bayern Munich. But you have to go back to like Thomas Muller and Tony Cruz a decade ago to find like raw teenagers that they gave a chance to and really put in a lot of effort to develop to eventually have become important players there. And he couldn't be coming at a worse time because it's going to be a dogfight for them in the second half of the season. Nika Kovac's job is online. I don't think he's going to be looking to give Alfonso Davies experience. Why, why, why do you so, say with with such disdain? You say <laughs> why can't you look at him as if he was a phenom coming over from Brazil? You wouldn't have said that if there was a phenom coming over from Brazil. But the fact that he's coming from MLS. The fact that he's Canadian, but it's, just, you, it's dripping. It's would, just dripping right wouldn't now. Wouldn't you admit the climate and the way Bayern have struggled this season could make it like a worse environment for him to arrive at and actually expect to get any any real playing time? Or they have to make changes. They got to do something. There has That's to be the other some way opportunities. To look at it, yeah. When you're talking about Robin and Ribéry, maybe the the the, uh, it, the the it's an accelerated process of of moving them on. Who knows? That's going to be a fun conversation. Nico Kovac telling Ian Robin before a big game. Actually, I'm going to start Alfonso Davies today. You're, you're Oh, once again, once again, it's just it's just you're patting these guys on the head. It's like, yeah, okay, good job. But they, they signed one of the premier young players in the world. He just happens to be Canadian. He just happens to have played in, in Major League Soccer. No, I'm I'm a big fan of his. I hope he gets a chance to play. I'm worried that he's not going to a Bayern. Oh man. All right. So to sum this back up, you don't believe in experience, veteran leadership, 
um, because you don't feel that ultimately it has the effect that we have been told that it has when it comes to especially soccer players out there being around and by osmosis they become better playing around better better players right yeah, I mean, I, the basic point is for a young player, you get better by playing, not by sitting on the bench and watching somebody else play and, quote unquote, learning from him. So that's, after that's, all this, this is what you're saying is that yes. in order to get better, you need to play. Keep it simple. Wow. Keep it simple. Keep Alexis. it simple. Pep right now is listening and his mind is blown. <laughs> all right, moving on. Ask Alexi. All right, it's that time of the pod. Uh, Ask Alexi, the hashtag Ask Alexi. You've sent in your questions on uh, social media, on the different platforms, Twitter, Periscope, or uh, Facebook, with that Ask Alexi hashtag, and Mossy is going to read out some of the best of them. All right. First up, at Fieldhouse NYC, who do you think would be the better U.S. men's national team coach and why, Burhalter or Vermees? Ooh, okay, so he is talking about Greg Burhalter, who, unless something is very, very strange and everybody in the entire industry has gotten this off, the current coach of the Columbus crew will be named very shortly as the U.S. men's national team coach. And Peter Vermees, uh, the longstanding head coach and technical director, president, probably got a bunch of different titles over there at Sporting Kansas City. He has done a wonderful job job in constructing a philosophy and an ethos and a playing style and all the different things that you talk about over there uh, for Sporting Kansas City. Uh, these Both of these guys were mentioned. I actually spoke to uh, Peter Vermes a couple weeks ago when I was in Kansas City for, uh, for a game. I love speaking to him. I've known him for years, played with him. I got a lot of time and respect for Peter Vermes. And if you asked me right now, who would you pick between Greg Berhalter and Peter Vermes, it would be Peter, Peter Vermes. Not because Greg Berhalter isn't good. I just think Peter Vermes is further along. However, Peter Vermes is going to need a whole lot more power, and he's going to expect a whole lot more power. And with what he has done, maybe uh, he deserves it, because this is a guy who I think, in terms of when, when I argue that you need somebody that comes in that articulates publicly and privately a clear and defined way of playing, way of thinking, style, philosophy, all the different buzzwords that we use, and then actually has the ability to go out there and do it, I think Peter Vermes is an ideal candidate. And once again, this isn't saying that Greg Berhalter wouldn't, but this is just a compare and contrast between the two and which one would I pick if it was my pick. So that's that's why I think I would pick a Peter, uh, a Peter Vermes. He would come in and... He would recognize also something that I've harped upon over the years in that we can't be everything to everyone. And he would recognize that this is how we are going to play. This is who we are going to be. And he would accept publicly and privately the fact that there were players that don't fit in that. And that scares the bejesus out of a lot of people out there. But that, I think, is the closest uh, and the quickest way to success. Otherwise, I think we're spinning the wheels. We're wasting much too, too much time and effort. And I think Peter Vermes, he's a, to, to, to give Christian Pulisic what he wants, this is a guy with a plan. We don't all agree with it. We may not all like it. But this is a guy with a plan who has been very, very good in sporting Kansas City of implementing that plan. And it's his way or the highway. And I love that. I love that about his leadership. I love that about leaders, that they come with a plan, even though I might not like it or I might think it's flawed. They come with a plan. They are true believers in that plan. And Peter Vermes certainly is. Next up, at Michael S.K. Neal, with the UEFA Nations League, wouldn't that affect overall standings on FIFA rankings since competitive games are rated higher than friendlies? Doesn't this affect World Cup pots giving Europe a leg up on the rest of the world? Ooh, interesting. Well, number one, what's the answer? 
Do you know the answer? Well, bear in mind, the idea is for every federation to eventually have its own nations. Right. That's what Johnny Infantino is hoping for. But yeah, if only some of them do it, the way that the rules are written out, yeah, it does seem like the ones that, that do it have a leg up on the rest of the world because they're going to play more competitive matches. But uh, is he saying that they are going to play more competitive matches and in in Europe you would be at times where you might play somebody from outside of Europe, you're actually playing somebody inside of Europe, and many of those European teams are, are ranked higher, and so therefore there's another advantage right there, right? Yeah, and it's interesting you bring that up because there are some national team coaches in other parts of the world, Asia, Africa, that have complained that say what you want about friendlies, but those are the only chances we get to right. play against European countries, and, that, and that's useful to us, and so they feel like Europe has kind of insulated itself even more with this way for Nations League. Listen, European media, by and large, is slobbering over this Nations League. They love it. They think it's the greatest thing ever. You're not having it? You're not having it? Come on. What's well, going on? again, we don't have to get into it again, but I still stand by uh, my opinion from a few weeks ago. And, and actually, Jurgen Klopp came out recently and echoed my sentiments. He clearly heard me say it. And yeah, I, I just think the calendar is nuts and the top players play too many competitive matches, don't get enough of a break. You know, I think people, when they judge this nation, like they operate under the premise that we have to play some sort of international football right now, that international fo- football should be trying to compete with club football for relevance 12 months out of the year. I don't buy that. I would prefer to get rid of some of these international dates, not disrupt the club season, have the club season end sooner and give these guys more of an off season. That's just where I come down on that. I know a lot of people don't agree, but... Um, I, I like the Nations League. I think it's good. And as you mentioned, they are trying to mirror it elsewhere in the world including CONCACAF. Uh, by the way, I did an interview uh, this week with CONCACAF President uh, Victor Montaliani, uh, I, I, a panel, and we we're talking about this type of stuff and what he wants to do with CONCACAF. And all the, the confederations are trying to, uh, trying to do this. So this is the way things are going. I am enjoying it. I am enjoying the competitive nature of it. I'm enjoying that there is another situation where there is a competitive environment that we can look to. I'm a little confused because it's it is what it is about the promotion relegation type of thing in that you are relegated out of your group as opposed to all the teams within your league so it's not you're only competing against the teams in your group you're not really competing against everybody else and we should say in the top division so it's going to be england portugal switzerland who had an amazing comfort behind win against belgium to snatch a spot and either France or the Netherlands in the Final Four. That's going to be settled today. It's a good Final Four. As a good Final Four. And then relegated from that top division is Germany, Croatia, uh, Poland, and Iceland. So, Do you think that this is, this is because they didn't take it seriously? Or just because after the summer when it comes to Croatia, or certainly after the summer when it comes to Germany, it's a continuation? Or in, in Croatia, uh, maybe a, a return to the mean, I guess? When it comes to what they're doing? Yeah, I mean, each, each situation is different. Uh, I think some countries were suffering from a World Cup hangover, while others, are, you're, like you said, it's just sort of a continuation. You know, let me say one thing about one player in the UEFA Nations League. I don't think there's another player in the world right now where there's such a discrepancy between, between his reputation at club and international level as David De Gea. He had a bad World Cup, and, he, and he's been bad in some of these UEFA Nations League games. But my God, reading the Spanish media, they talk about him as if he's garbage and this total liability. They're pining for Iker Casillas to come back. There were <laughs> polls in Spanish newspapers asking who should start in, in goal for Spain. De Gea was finishing like fourth. Like, And if you ask anybody in England about David De Gea, he's the best goalkeeper in the world, and rightly so, because he's unbelievable when he plays for Manchester United. So, you know, we talk about Messi, but, but people in Argentina think Messi's really good. It's not like that big of right. a... He's 
he's obviously better for Barcelona. But I mean, the De Gea thing is incredible. You read the Spanish media, you read the English media. It's like you're talking about two different players. Form is fallacy, my friend. <laughs> Hashtag it. Put it on a T-shirt. Sell it. Uh, okay, what else? All right. Finally, at Juan Bonilla, what would you consider success for a first-year MLS team, FC Cincinnati? So I think as we have more and more of these expansion teams coming into Major League Soccer, the expectations are raised, and, and rightfully so. Certainly what has happened with Atlanta, what has happened with LAFC, uh, even lo- looking back in what uh, someone like Seattle did. But then you also have teams like Minnesota, and, and, I, and, and I sometimes bag on my loons over there. I love them. Uh, and and I, and I talk about the soft launch that they have had because they had a stadium, they're building a stadium, and that's a transition that takes time. What would be successful? Look, I think it's reasonable for any expansion team coming into MLS, especially one that has been in existence and, not as, and it's not just starting from scratch, to expect to make the playoffs. Uh, that's not, especially in a league where over half the teams make the playoffs, I think that that is a good first-year bar to set. Uh, even if you don't get there, it doesn't mean that it is an unsuccessful year. Now, this until I see what they are all about, and we didn't know what Atlanta was going to be all about until they started signing these players and we started to see these crowds, until I see what they are all about in their Major League Soccer form, it's difficult to judge. And maybe our expectations and my expectations will change when we see them out of the shoot and what they look like in an MLS capacity. I think the the bar, if you will, from a, uh, has been set for Atlanta United. That is the the pinnacle of what you're doing. Where, I mean, for them, it almost was if, as if making the playoffs wasn't even a consideration when they came in. And I love that. I love that announcing your presence with authority and signifying your ambition to everybody, not just your fan base, but everybody across the league, that this is what we are doing. I don't think necessarily that FC Cincinnati is going to be able, going to do it or going to be able to do that. And that's not necessarily a bad thing, but I think that's where, if they were to make the playoffs, it would be incredibly successful. But if they come in and they're gangbusters in terms of the fans, the brand is good, everybody is talking about it, it's the talk of the town, they're relevant. I talk about relevancy almost every single week, if they are relevant in market and therefore there's a relevancy that seeps out of market to people like myself and others that are the outside, that's that's successful. That is it. That is it. All right. Uh, As always, use that Ask Alexi hashtag uh, when you're sending us your questions. And who knows, maybe in future episodes, David Mossy will read your questions. All right. Moving on. Hey, everyone, it's Alexi Lalas here, and I have got some good news. Now, through November 26, you can listen to Fox Sports on Sirius XM Channel 83 for free in your car, online, and on the Sirius XM app. Check out shows like Undisputed, First Things First, Speak for Yourself, and more, all during this free trial. Listen in your car, online, and on the Sirius XM app for free now through November 26th on Channel 83. Now, back to the show. The Back Three. All right, it's time for our Back Three. Some big stories, games, moments, what have you from the last week in the world of soccer. What's in our three this week? All right, let's start with the MLS Conference Finals. You've got the Red Bulls against Atlanta United and then Sporting KC against Portland. What are your overall thoughts? Who do you see coming out of these? Well, we're talking about this this weird moment and purgatory of the U.S. men's national team. We're also in this, unfortunately, annual moment where the international break breaks up 
any momentum and focus that Major League Soccer has had on the playoffs. We'll, we'll get it back on the other side. And part of the reason we'll get it back is because there are four very, very good teams and delectable type of matchups when you have the New York Red Bulls against Atlanta and Sporty KC uh, versus Portland. But it does kill your mojo and kill your, uh, your momentum when you have to go into this international break. But you, you deal with it and you come back the other side. All right, so New York Red Bulls in Atlanta. When I did my picks... I got three out of four, as I told you. Uh, the one I didn't get was Portland. I, th- I saw Seattle going through. I still have Sporting KC beating Portland and the New York uh, Red Bulls losing to Atlanta based on nothing more than Atlanta lost out the supporter shield to them at the end of the season. And we know how the soccer gods work. And the Red Bulls have had Atlanta's number this season. So when you least expect or at the most inopportune time, that's usually when the soccer gods reach down and say, not so fast. So we got our first legs. So keep in mind that MLS Cup, which by the way, you can see on FS1, will either be in New York. And when I say New York, I mean New Jersey. Or it will be in Atlanta because both of those teams are higher ranked than the Sporting Sporting KC and Portland. I think that we are going to go to Atlanta for an MLS Cup. I think that they are going to uh, find a way to get past the New York Red Bulls. Uh, That first leg, it would be Atlanta hosting and then the second leg would be the New York Red Bulls hosting. Uh, this Atlanta team now with, back with uh, Miguel Almiron is, I think, a team that's licking their chops and certainly wants to send Tata on his way wherever it may be. Although Don Garber at SoccerX in Miami let slip that, uh, that it is indeed to Mexico. So I think it would surprise nobody if and when after the season he is named uh, Mexico coach. But certainly some wonderful matchups that we'll pick up starting this weekend. All right, next up, River Plate Boca Juniors second leg coming up this weekend. It was 2-2 first leg at La Bombonera. So the title will be decided at the Monumental. Fernando Fiore has told me he will be in a Saw him at Soccer X, too. Oh, he, how, he would not. It was doing? amazing because, you know, I've known Fernando for so long, and I love the bust his chops about everything. So immediately I bring up uh, Boca River. And he does not want to talk about it. He does not want to jinx it. He will not dignify. He won't even look at me in the eyes when I start talking about it right now. I, I, even, I even said, hey, this is, this is good for River. I think that was a good result. And we know that the, the away goals doesn't count and everything. But still 2-2 in the first leg. I think that they, I thought that, I actually, as I said last week, I thought River was very, very good. And they're, they're going to be okay uh, going back. But he did not want me to jinx it at all, so which made me want to talk about it even more with him. <laughs> some some lineup news. Rafael Santos Bore is suspended for River, so all the talk is that Gallardo is going to push Atlanta United bound Piti Martinez up alongside Prato, and he's going to start Juan Quintero, who's a player who I love, you Colombian love playmaker. Yep. Uh, he's going to repeat that same 3-4-1-2 formation from the first leg. For Boca, Christian Pavone is likely out. He got injured in the first leg. Benedetto came on for him in the first leg, scored, and he's been playing great. So presumably he'll start, although there's a lot of Carlos Tevez might start buzz. I'm not sure if that would be in that spot or if it would be for the other striker, Ramon Abila, but that would be an incredible story. Tevez has been kind of a non-factor in this Libertadores run. He's kind of looked washed up at times, but he came on at the end of that first leg and I thought looked very good. He set up a great chance for Benedetto that Armani saved. So, you know, Scalotto might be going with superstition here. It's a big game and why not just throw the guy who has the most pedigree well, you really, out there? You know, the, the reason to put Carlos Tevez on the field is his experience and his veteran leadership. And so he can impart <laughs> that onto all the young players on it so they can go on to great things. <laughs> but yeah, so so keep an eye on that. Incidentally, the winner of this match will then head to the Club World Cup. 
next month. A lot of people think Real Madrid, who are now managed by Santiago Solari, who played at River Plate, has shown enough vulnerability that they think a Boca River could actually give Real Madrid a game. The European club has dominated that competition. They've won it 10 of the last 11 years. The one exception being uh, 2012, when a Corinthian side managed by current Brazil boss Chichi knocked off Alex Dowd's Chelsea. Uh, so we'll see. This could be in another year. Maybe South America has a chance. And that segues nicely to our last back three topic, the big Premier League match of the weekend. Chelsea will take on Tottenham. Listen, I don't want to go down the Alex Dowd is a clown uh, road again, but only we've, we've in, mined that run only week in after Alex week after Dowd's week. It's evergreen to be fair, but okay. bubble is this match worthy of its own back three topic. It's not even the be- biggest game in Europe this weekend. Atletico Madrid hosts Barcelona. But fair enough. Uh, he wants us to talk about this game. I'm going to do it from the Tottenham perspective only because I came across a fascinating article recently written by this guy who's an excellent writer, Daniel Story for 442. It was this impassioned defense of Pochettino. Uh, the thesis was that if you look at how much money Tottenham has spent relative to their rivals since he got there, that actually the work he's done is remarkable. They're the only club in the Premier League that's finished in the top three the last three seasons they finished third, second, and third. And he argues that this season he's doing some of his best work because Tottenham had more players than anybody reached the late stages of the World Cup, which kind of disrupted their availability early on this season. They've had a zillion injuries, and they have this crazy stadium situation where they basically don't have a home. They're playing their games at Wembley. And still he has them right up there, just a few points off the top. And so he argues this whole business of winning a trophy. I mean, you can't lose sight of the bigger picture. And he's be- he argues that he's become a victim of his own success because we now take for granted that Tottenham finishing in the top four is no big deal when it's actually a massive achievement. He contrasted to Jose Mourinho at United and how much money they spent and how much complaining he does about not getting players. Tottenham didn't sign a single player this last summer. They were the only team in Europe's top five leagues that didn't sign a single player. So I actually thought it was a fairly compelling article. What do you think? I mean, are you in the camp that, no, still, you got to win trophies. That's what it's about. Or he, he does a good enough job that he deserves... Well, either you accept that even though there's not a trophy that you get, you accept that finishing top four is trophy-worthy, and and certainly from a financial perspective, it is, or you don't. If if finishing in the top four is something that 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 you don't care about, not that you don't care about, but that you don't rate, then... Then yeah, it's all about it's all about trophies. But this separation that has come from Man- uh, Manchester City, and I, I'm even going to throw Liverpool in there because I think that they 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 are distancing themselves in a way, not necessarily from the table. I know that everyone's still within striking distance, but I think that there is a an acceptance and a resignation from teams like Tottenham that this is where we are going to end up, which means that we are not going to get that trophy. If we get trophies on the other side, you know whether it's Champions League or FA Cup or anything, that's that's all fine and well. But when it comes to this, the prestige of the EPL trophy, uh, of EPL title trophy, that's that that ship has sailed. I still look at it, maybe I'm a little bit romantic, and I bet you there's a lot of people out there that still believe that these teams are there to compete. And while in public, I think that they will say that they are still there to compete, but I think in reality, behind the scenes, they know that what competing is for them is a very different definition than it was 5, 10, 15 years ago. And yet there, many of their supporters and many of the people that just follow them are living in this world, and maybe it's to your point in terms of your, the article that you read, living in this world where it is unrealistic expectations in this new world that we live in, in this new order that we have when it comes to the big leagues in the world and certainly when it comes to the EPL. 
Yeah, certainly. I think Klopp and Pochettino get lumped together a lot. And, and I don't know, I feel like Liverpool, they spend a lot more money. They're a bigger club. There's more of an expectation there of winning trophies. So, you know, as much as I love Klopp, if he stays there enough years and doesn't win anything, I don't know if he can be considered a success. Well, Pochettino at Tottenham, I think there is a scenario where he could stay there for several years, not win a trophy. But you could still look back on it. There, there would still be an argument to be made that he was he was a success in, but, in his tenure. But would that be a, a more of an internal view of how they look at him as a success or would that translate to the the tried and true fan base out there you think they would look at him as a success if there weren't trophies involved I think Tottenham fans mostly uh would but it's the outside world the larger media that I think is more hung up on this whole him not winning trophies so you think thing. Tottenham fans are more educated uh, more nuanced uh have much more depth and understanding and uh compassion for the reality of the situation yeah, I mean, I think it's then exemplified exemplified by somebody we work with, Jason Wormser, who I would classify as compassionate and nuanced to me. That those would be the two words I would. Uh, he's a big Tottenham fan. I think you're giving with. him too much credit. Yes. <laughs> All right, anything else about this or my, my final thought? Just of in the general, time? just in general in life, Mossy. Before we sign off here. Oh, just a reminder, we're taping this on a Monday tomorrow, Italy-U.S. on yes. FS1. Italy, by the way, have an 18-year-old midfielder, Sandro Tonali, who plays for Brescia, who's been dubbed the new Andrea Pirlo, and he's already been linked with Juventus. I am very excited to see him. Nice to see a young player actually get a chance and not just have to learn from somebody else. Really, they should get Pirlo back just to run him around <laughs> on the field so he can get some, uh, some education. All right, so we have come to the end of yet another show, and at the end of each and every show, I give you my one big thing from today's podcast. And I think it's uh, just some perspective in this moment of consternation and angst that we find ourselves in with regards to our U.S. men's national team. And don't get me wrong, I love it. I love the fact that there is so much attention and the wringing of the hands that we have. That's a good thing. That represents progress, that represents evolution uh, when it comes to how we look at not just our national team, but our sport. And I'll, I'll be honest with you, not too long ago, there wasn't that. And I think it certainly showed the moment the U.S. didn't qualify for the World Cup, and it's continued on uh, through the year. Th this, this too shall pass. As we mentioned earlier, I do think that ultimately this will have been a wasted opportunity, one that we were I hesitate to say gifted, but one that came to us in, in, in a way that we did not want, but it still came to us. Uh, it will not be the reason why we fail in the future, but it could have been one of the reasons why we could have succeeded in the future. But I still think that we're going to succeed in the future. I still think that this core of players, notwithstanding a horrible performance against England and other players that we're not even speaking about, uh, are going to rise to the occasion, are going to accept that responsibility and take ownership of this team. However, if and when that person comes in, Christian Pulisic, that guy with a plan comes in, I hope that that plan, and once again, as I've told you, how I feel about it is irrelevant. I want a guy with a plan. Even if I completely disagree with it, I still want a plan. But if I had my druthers, if I had my way in terms of the plan... I would concentrate on making this team that has some wonderful talent and some great talent. By the way, congratulations to Tab Ramos in the under-20s for qualifying for yet another World Cup. Uh, he's doing the job. That's the way you do it. Uh, and there's certainly plenty of talent coming up. I look at that talent as this talent can be successful. But in doing so, 
I think we really have to concentrate all of our effort and resource and energy into, into becoming the best version of ourselves that we can be. And that is not something that everybody wants to do. We have a desire to be different. We have the desire to be something that we have not been in the past. And while admirable, I think at times it forces us into spending time, resources, and energy uh, that would be better spent making us the best version of ourselves that we can possibly be. I hope that whoever comes in says, look, this is who we are as a soccer team. This is who we are as a country. I'm going to bring as many people into the tent as I possibly can. But ultimately, you are going to see an American team that takes the best of our past and melds it with a way of thinking about the future that makes us a better version. And in that version, I believe that we can be incredibly successful. And at times we fight against that. We fight against being a better version of ourselves because we believe that the version we have been is antiquated, ultimately futile, and is not something that we want to be a part of. And I hope that we don't do that because there's some great quality and some great parts of that version that if we maintain and become better at, I think we can be really, really successful. Regardless, we're going to need somebody to lead that plan. Maybe by the time we speak again next week, we will have a national team coached. Don't, don't hold your breath, <laughs> given what's happened over the last year. But who knows? Stranger things have happened. I'm looking forward to this uh, game that the U.S. has against Italy. Does it mean everything in the world? No, but it is an opportunity for this group that you know what the bed against England to come back and show us that they can recover from something like that. They can make the proper adjustments uh, and they can give us a team that we are proud of after a 90-minute game that we all know doesn't mean everything. It's just a friendly, but it's another opportunity for you to have that incredible privilege and that incredible honor of stepping on the field and representing your country, a country that I believe is the greatest country in the world. And that opportunity should never be wasted. Whether you're playing a friendly, whether you're playing against a B or C team, or hell, whether you're playing out in the backyard against another country, it is your opportunity to represent your country and I don't like to see te uh, teams and players take it lightly. So, all right, Mossy, anything else? We're nope. good? All right, have a wonderful week, everybody. Thank you so much for uh, listening. As always, uh, you can catch us on Twitter and on Facebook and all the social media platforms out there. Please use that hashtag AskAlexi if you are sending us a comment or question. And uh, as I said in uh, future episodes, you might hear your comment or question on the State of the Union podcast. We'll be back again uh, next week. Have a wonderful week on and off the soccer field. Good things for everybody. And we'll see you next week. All right. Size the day.